All right, so we've been uh, looking at uh, Jesus a lot in our SALT ministries because uh, he's my favorite person. You can just look at how he acts, you can replicate it, and you're good to go. I mean, how, what other example do you have in life where you can just open up the Bible and you can just read about Jesus and everything he does? I mean, is, he's sharp. Um, he's, he's tactical. I mean, everything. He, I mean, he just, he's always one step ahead of everyone, and he's always loving and gracious. So I just love looking at Jesus and the life of Jesus so today we're going to look at a uh, story of Jesus that wasn't too common to me. Um, in fact, when I read it, I was, I was very surprised that I had never heard of this Bible story because, I mean, I like to read the Bible and I like to read about Jesus. And it's, you know, it's a part that I just kind of glossed over. Um, but it kind of it kind of it inspired me to look at what God has called us all to do and who he's called us to be and for us to be exceptional. So, the, you know, what I wanted to try to convince you here is that, you know, Jesus wants us to be exceptional. Jesus wants us to be unordinary. So we're going to look at this um, verse. It's going to be in Luke 4, verse 16. Luke 4, 16. And to give you some um, context, um, Luke 4 is basically the start of Jesus's ministry. Okay, so uh, the first Verses of Luke 4 is when he goes to the desert and he's tempted by the devil. He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And um, he, he resists temptation by uh, using the word of God, by praying, by using scripture. And just right off the bat, uh, we see Jesus is tempted in the same exact ways that we are today. Um, and we see how he handles it, right? And um, it's a, that's a whole nother time, whole nother sermon, a whole, but it's great. But just to give you some context, like that just happened. Okay, so um, we're going to see uh, in Luke 4, um, we're going to start in verse 16. So uh, once I find it, okay, here we go. If you'll follow along with me. Um, this is out of the New Living Translation, if you're wondering. And it says, then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Okay, so before we go any further, okay, he's returning to Galilee, like that's where he's from. Like, that's Jesus' hometown, right? There's just something different about going to your hometown, whether you're from here or from somewhere else. The second you, like, get off of the plane and you're in your hometown, something just feels, like, familiar, feels comfortable, right? You know the roads, like, the back of your hand. You could, you know, you, you know where to go. You know where the good restaurants are. You know the places that, you know, are fun to go to, and you just, you just know it. A lot of times your family lives there. A lot of times it's memories of holidays and, and growing up and things like that. And there's just something familiar and comforting about going to your hometown. And so Jesus just fasted for 40 days, for 40 nights, and he's about to start his ministry. Um, and the first place he goes is to his hometown. And I love how it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit's power. So often in the Bible when it's talking about Jesus, it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So me, as someone who admires Jesus and wants to copy uh, what he does, I am constantly praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? You can argue with me all you want about who gets it and who doesn't, but if Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna pray for it and you can take care of the rest and I'm gonna just do me, okay? So if you wanna know where I stand on that, you know, that's why uh, I spend so much time to say, you know, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? So moving along in verse 14, it says, reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. Okay, um, so he's in the synagogue. This is like a normal thing. They'd go up and they'd stand up and they'd read uh, from the 
the Old Testament, because right, that's all they had, and then basically they would talk about it, or Jesus would teach about it, right? And a lot of times we think of Jesus as like miracle Jesus, which he was, did a lot of miracles, a lot of great things. But Jesus was also like teacher Jesus, right? And he was a good teacher. I mean, over and over and over again, we see his disciples and we see random people address him as teacher, Okay, like if you ever have had a good teacher in your life, which everyone has probably, right? You can think of one teacher that like really uh, like hit home and like really like made you grasp the concepts of what they were teaching and you were like, that's a good teacher. And, and it, it really struck home and like that's what Jesus would do. And a lot of times Jesus would engage in these uh, philosophical theology discussions about the Old Testament, right? And this is where he'd get into trouble with some of the, you know, the Pharisees is he would try to talk about what the scripture actually means versus like what they think it means, right? And this is when they started to not like him because they're like, oh, we don't know about this. It's not what we've always believed, right? You know, we're professionals, you're not. And, and this is where he would kind of get into it. So what's going to happen here in verse 17, it says the scroll, um, he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written, okay? So this is from the Old Testament but Jesus is reading it. He says in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Okay, so that's from the Old Testament in our salt service. I didn't read that part because it's a lot of reading for them and they like to get right to it and just jump into it. But you guys, I know you can handle it, okay? So now we have a full context of what's happening. He reads that verse, Old Testament, talking about a prophecy, um, and then he hands the scroll back to whoever handed it to him. Um, he rolled it up, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down, okay? They, they like to lounge a lot in Jesus' time, right? They'd lounge around eating dinner. I kind of like wish we still did that, you know? They'd have like, conversations where they're like laying down, Sounds great, right? So, you know, he sits down and then um, it says, all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Okay, all eyes were on Jesus. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just learned has been fulfilled this very day. So basically he just told these people, the scripture in Isaiah that was talking about the Lord's favor will come and the oppressed will be set free and the blind will see, that's come, that's today, and that's me. Okay, so he says it in front of all these people, and they're just like, and let's see how they respond. It says, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? And this is the phrase, this is the question, this was the murmur that they had in the synagogue that I want to focus on today because they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Okay, have you ever felt like you don't belong somewhere or felt like you're like, what am I doing here? I don't belong. This is different, right? I was, I was fortunate enough to be friends with this football coach who coached for the Jags and he coached at Yale and he coached at FIU. And uh, FIU would do these little like traveling uh, camps for, you know, rising college players. They're like showcases, right? And these football players would go and uh, they would, you know, they're four and five star athletes and they would play in front of these coaches and all these college coaches would be there. And it's an opportunity for them to like get noticed. And he, and they did one in Jacksonville at, down at the stadium. And they asked me, they're like, hey, do you want to be a guest coach? We like to get guest coaches from the area. I knew the guy and I was like, well, that sounds awesome. Let's do it. I get there and this is like a year into me being a coach anywhere. And I just look around and in 10 seconds, I was like, I do not belong here. 
I mean, there are college coaches like yelling at kids, giving like examples and, and, and talking about what to do. And like, and, and, and I would, I would like say something and the kids would be like, okay, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, coach. And I was like, oh, wow. Like they really think I'm something here. Right. And so I'm just the whole time I'm sitting there just like grinning from ear to ear. Like I do not belong here. Right. This is not like, sometimes we just feel like we don't belong. Um, and, and, and God will use us in those situations. And when the, when, the, when the Pharisees, and they said, isn't this Joseph's son? What they were saying is, what is a son of a carpenter doing telling us that he is the Old Testament's prophecy? We know this guy. He's from here. This is his hometown. We knew where he went to school. We knew how he grew up. We've bought wood items he's made probably, right? And like, we know this Jesus guy. Isn't this Joseph's son? And immediately, they're trying to put him in a box based on who they thought that he was. My, uh, my, my grandma, who is no longer with us, Nanny, if you knew her, uh, she was awesome. There, I mean, there's nothing like a grandparent's love. I mean, yeah, you know, my grandma, she, at the end of her life, she suffered with dementia and Alzheimer's, and she wouldn't remember a lot of things, but she remembered every single grandkid that would walk in there. Knew their name, knew, I mean, would not forget for a second. And she would always say, ain't you, right? She's from Lake City. So, you know, that's how they talk there. Been to a couple family reunions. That's how they talk, right? And, and they say, ain't you, right? Ain't you. And so, and, and people will say that like, ain't you, aren't you, right? And then people, aren't you Joseph's son? And a lot of things that people will say, um, these are a couple things that people will say about you. Um, like, aren't you from that family, right? Like, we know your family. We went to school with some of your cousins. Your dads were in our class. Your, your, your mom, we knew her growing up. We know your family, so we know who you are. Right? That ever happened? That ever happened to any of you guys? You get, you get classified by your family members or, or something like that, and all of a sudden uh, people are, are just going to prejudge you based on your family, which you have no control over for the most part. Ain't you from that family? Another one those people will say is, uh, ain't you from that town? Like, aren't, aren't, aren't you from there? Like, like one thing that like goes with you your entire life is people will go, oh, where'd you go to high school? They'll always ask you that because then they can get an idea of like where you went to high school, where you grew up, what part of the country you lived in. And then they can go ahead and, uh, and just say, okay, so you're from there. So you must be like that. Right. Right. Well, you know, where, where, where are you from? And they'll be like, oh, you're from that area of the country. Oh, you're those people. Oh, you're from there, so you're automatically like this. You're auto. I mean, we tell the students all the time. You know, we, they ask, "What school do you go to?" And the second they say, "What school?" It's a prejudge right away. Oh, you're from there. That school has a bad reputation, or that school has a reputation for being rich, spoiled kids, or that school has a reputation of being poor kids, or that school has a reputation of being dumb kids, right? And they have, and all of a sudden they'll classify you by your school. But the same thing happens with it when you become adults, right? Where'd you go to college? Where are you from? What area of the town are you from? Right? Can you speak English? Or are you from like the Bayou, Louisiana and can't speak, right? They'll judge you like right away based off, I don't mean to offend anybody if you're from there, okay? I'm getting in trouble already. I'm only on page two. All right, another one they'll say is, um, aren't you not educated enough? Aren't you not educated enough? Ain't you not educated? If they say that, then that's it, you know, that's it. <laughs> Anyways, so like they'll say, oh, you know, what are you doing at that job? You, you, you barely graduated high school. I went to high school with you. Or, you know, you only have a bachelor's degree. You don't have a bachelor's degree? What are you doing working here? You don't have a doctorate, right? It goes on and on and on and on, right? And, and people will try to classify you by your education level. 
and they'll think based on what you've accomplished in school, um, they can sum up what kind of person you are, your potential, what you can do. And uh, there, it's another way of saying, isn't this Joseph's son? Another one, aren't you not stable enough? Right? We all know some unstable people. Some of us are unstable people. Right? And, and people are like, you can't handle that job. You can't handle that family. You can't handle that. You're not a stable person. I've seen you go in and out of problems and issues. And you're one minute, you're volatile. The next minute, you're secure. Like, there's nothing, there's no consistency in your personality or in your attitude or in your decisions. So you, aren't you not stable enough? And they'll begin to say those things about you. Another one, ain't you your past? Aren't you what you've done before? I've seen you try to do this before. I've seen you do that. I've seen you try to hold down a relationship. I've seen you try to go back to school. I've seen you try to work in this job. I've seen you try to move away from your hometown. I've seen you do this. Aren't you your past? Aren't you what you've done before? And the last one that I hear the most common is aren't you scared? Aren't you scared you're going to fail? Aren't you scared that you don't have what it takes? Aren't you scared that people are going to see you try and not make it? How embarrassing is that going to be? Wouldn't you rather just not do it? Aren't you scared to take that chance? Aren't you scared to take that risk? And the thing with all of these ain't yous, as Nanny would say. The thing with all of them is if we're not careful, we will let people define us by those questions. And if we're not careful, we'll let people define us by our past and by our hometown and by our mistakes and by our education level and by our history of what we've done. And if, if we're not careful, then we will let people define us rather than letting God define us. And that's a dangerous road because the plan that God has for you is not how anyone on earth defines you. And, it, and if you're going to be extremely limited if you let other people define you by who you are. So I like to say, uh, don't stay in your lane. We hear that all the time. Like, you know, stay in your lane, right? Just stay in your lane. You do this, I do this. Let's just keep it that way. Everyone's happy, no issues. But don't. All, you know, I, I say this to st the students all the time. Always be careful of, of people who try to like summarize your personality um, or quality traits, right? Always be careful of those people that are like, oh, you're, you're unorganized. So we'll, we'll handle this. Oh, or you're, you're, you can't keep anything clean. Or uh, you're not good at that. Oh, you're not good at that situation. Let us handle that. You do your strength. We'll do our strength. And be careful of those people. Because they're trying to put you in a box probably based on their agenda and what they need you to do for them. Right? Rather than seeing you as someone who has the potential to grow and become better and improve every day. And it doesn't matter that you're your age. Because people will do that. People will do that, that are based off of what they think of you. And people in your hometown, people that have known you the longest, people that saw you grow up, they're the worst. They're the worst. They're the ones that think they know you because they've seen you based on your past. And they will put you in a box and they'll say, aren't you Joseph's son? It's interesting that, that they, they gave him this this like rejection, they gave him this, this point like right as he's starting his ministry. I mean, what a time for the devil to come out and go, aren't you Joseph's son? At the very beginning of his ministry, because he had the opportunity right then and there to be like, you're right, I'm gonna make 
boats forever, right? And then Jesus could have gone on and been a boat maker the rest of his life, and he would never, nothing would have ever happened. And that's, that's crazy, because Jesus would never do that. But do we let people do that in our lives? The second we start doing something, the second we start moving toward our goal of the future, the plan that God has for us, one person goes, aren't you that? And we go, you're right, I am that. I'm gonna stay in my lane. We could be robbed of so many opportunities that God has for us by simply staying in our lane, by simply doing what we think we're good at, staying within our strength, staying within our wheelhouse, never improving, never getting better, and not adapting. So those people don't know your thoughts. Those people don't know your skills. Those people don't know your abilities. They don't know what God's put in your heart. A lot of times God will put something in your heart that's only for you. And he'll give you something. And you'll feel it right here. And you're like, oh man, I need to do it. I need to do it. When God put the, the, the salt, doing the salt ministry in my heart, I was like, okay, that's a lot for me to do. So are you sure? And God said, don't worry, we're gonna bring people. We're gonna bring people to volunteer. And that's why I'm forever indebted to Beaches Chapel because the, the people that have stepped up and that have, that have come and that have supported us, the pastors, the elders, the employees here, the volunteers, everyone, not one person has made it hard on me. They've been, how, how can I help you? Some of you are giving to the salt ministry and I'm seeing, I'm like, people believe in this. And like James said, we're seeing the fruit of, of kids coming. We're seeing the fruit of, this, of these things happen because God put it, in my heart, and God will put something in your heart. The opportunities will absolutely blow your mind. I had one of the most amazing opportunities a couple months ago. There was an unfortunate accident. Unfortunately, a, a, a student at Fletcher, he committed suicide. And luckily, he had a good friend, Isaac, what's up Isaac? Isaac's here. He had a good friend, Isaac, who came here. Brought his friends, I got to pray with them. They asked me, do you wanna do the funeral? I said, I, sure, go to the funeral. I get to lead an entire football team, 200 students, coaches, parents, ADs in a salvation prayer in that moment. And, and again, not because of anything that I have, not because of any talent or skill that I have, because God put something in my heart and he said, we're going full speed ahead. And you cannot let people define you. Well, haven't you tried starting a youth ministry before? And it wasn't that great, yeah. Haven't you have a pretty extensive history of making mistakes that a lot of these kids are making that you're trying to get them not to do, yeah. Aren't you not educated enough? Aren't you not organized enough? Don't you not have enough help? Don't you not have enough money? Yeah. But you know what? I'm going forward. God defines us. God defines who we are. And you have to look at every opportunity in your life as that opportunity. And you have to ignore the people around you because they don't know what's in your heart. Another interesting thing about this story, um, the, the first encounter that Jesus has in his ministry is with the devil, okay? It is what it is. Devil tries to tempt him, doesn't work. His second encounter after the devil in his ministry, you think he would go and like be talking to like sinners and he'd be talking to people that like make a bunch of mistakes. I mean, he has a bunch of run-ins with all types of people in the Bible. Uh, but the, the second person after the devil uh, was the Pharisees, the religious people, the legalistic people, the people that are so concerned about the laws and the rules that they miss the relationship part of it. And that's what Jesus is trying to say in this moment. And he's gonna, we're gonna go on and see what he says after that that makes these people mad. 
We're not there yet, though. All right? So one thing I hear all the time, um, you know, uh, church people are hypocrites, right? Uh, I've grown old, and I got friends that uh, I've had in my life for a while. And, that, and I, you know, Sundays are, are a good day. You can do a lot of things on Sundays. They ask me all the time if I want to do stuff. I'm like, hey, man, I go to church. I'm going to church. And over and over again, man, why do you go to church, man? Church is full of hypocrites. I hear it over and over and over again. And I'm like, yeah, man, <laughs> you're right. Church is full of hypocrites. So is school. So is work. So is uh, the grocery store. Um, everywhere is full of hypocrites. And the problem is, is that you're getting too worried about the actions of other people than you are yourself. And because Jesus doesn't call us to be worried about the actions of other people. That would be a judge. And we're not judges. He hasn't called us to be judges. And thank God, because I'm usually wrong about people. First impression, it's usually wrong. And I'm, so I'm glad. God's the judge. We're just called to love others. We're just called to serve him and to follow his purpose. So don't worry about how other people are acting. Don't compare your life to other people. I mean, I, I got friends, I got religious friends. They, they jump from church to church to church to church, and then they're six months here and four months there and five months there and three months there, and they love this pastor, and they love this pastor, they love this worship minister, they love this sanctuary, they love this location, they love this app where they can watch this pastor. And they never get grounded, and they never get in somewhere. And am I advocating not watching other pastors? Do whatever you want. I watch all kinds of pastors. But there's, but there's something about serving somewhere and getting grounded and getting your feet entrenched in somewhere. Because when the winds come and the waves come, the people that aren't grounded don't have that family around them to pull them up and to, and to help them up in a helping hand in those times. They're going to go away with the waves because they move from place to place. They're so worried about other things. They're so worried about everything besides the relationship. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at, the relationship. So don't be defined by other people. Don't believe what they say. You're not identified by your surroundings. You're not limited or bounded by your upbringing or your education or what you've been, what you've been taught. You know, be exceptional. Be exceptional. Being exceptional is, is, is operating outside of what everyone thinks is your ordinary capacity. Step outside of that. And one thing you got to know off the bat, if you're deciding, okay, I'm going to be exceptional. This is my time. This is my moment. I'm going to be exceptional. Here's the problem. Exceptional people and ordinary people always clash. Always clash. You're, if you're trying to work with some ordinary people, you're going to have some problems with them. People that are comfortable being ordinary, People that don't like to get uncomfortable, don't like to make moves, don't like to do anything, are just happy staying in their lane, are just happy just doing what they've always done. They don't like exceptional people. So you may find yourself getting in problems all the time with these people. And you might be asking, why don't these people like me? Why are these people fighting me at every yard, every time I'm trying to do something, there's, I'm getting these people that are just going against me because there's ordinary people. And being exceptional is not something you're born with. Like, you, you know, you don't come out of the womb. I'm exceptional. We're all born the same. We're all given the exact same opportunities. It's decisions that you make. It's a thought process. It's a mindset that you have. And it's, it's one thing that I try to hammer home to the students is you have got to check your perspective. You have got to check your mindset. I probably preach on that once a month. I just change the words around and they don't notice but I talk about it all the time because it's so important that your mindset, how you're viewing things, you're, it's all up here. It is all up here. Everything that you're going through in life, your, your mental 
fortitude, your strength. If you can get right between the ears, your relationship with God, there's nothing, there's no outside issue. There's nothing that can come up. There's no one that can come against you. There's no family issue. There's no financial issue that can drag you down because you're up here, you got it. And you know that God has a plan for you and you know that God has called you to do something. And an obstacle isn't something that's gonna trip you up. It's something that's to make you better. You jump over this obstacle, all right, now I got that jump in my bag of tricks. I crawl into this obstacle, all right, now I can crawl into this. And next thing you know, you're walking out God's plan where you're jumping and crawling and do all sorts of things because you've done it. And you're like, this is what I was going through. This is why I was going through it. And so often, all of us, we get so worked up in our current situation and the things that's going on. It's human nature, we all do it. And then we, we, we mature a couple years, we look back and we're like, why was I so worried about that? That made me better. I'm actually glad I went through that now. It happens over and over and over again, yet we still never learn our lesson. I never learned my lesson. I'm not going to speak for you. I'm not going to put you in a box, okay? I'm not going to define you, all right? I'm talking about me, okay? So it's a mindset, okay? It's a mindset, right? Um, it's, it's, not just, uh, it's not just staying out of trouble. Oh, well, I, you know, I hear all the time. Well, Jason, I'm staying out of trouble. Oh, very good. You're staying out of trouble. Good job. How about let's be exceptional now? Oh, Jason, I, I'm, I'm working. I'm going to work every day. I'm paying my bills. Great job. Now let's be exceptional. Well, Jason, I'm taking care of my kids. My kids have a great life. You know, they're going to private school. You know, I'm, I'm driving them to every sporting event. You know, my kids are happy. Okay, great. Good job. Now let's be exceptional. Now let's go above and beyond. What's God called you to do? What does God want you? What's the difference he wants you to make? Because I guarantee you it's something in addition to what your kids are doing. Okay, you can't put all of your stock into your kids. First of all, they're going to let you down. We all know that. Second of all, God's called you to do something. What's he put in your heart? What does he want you to be exceptional with? How does he want you to get involved? And don't try to sit there and analyze, okay, here's my skill set. Here's what I'm good at. Here's what I'm doing. No, you're putting yourself in a box. Pray about it. And what does God put on your heart? He'll put the craziest things and you're like, oh, that's not going to happen. And then watch what happens. It'll happen. One of the toughest things I see is when good friends, childhood friends or friends that you've had for a long time, when, when, when one decides to be exceptional and then one doesn't. I hate that. I, I talk all the time about picking your circle wisely, right? Because you get one friend that is ordinary or toxic or, or, or drags you down, then you have to make a tough decision. Am I going to stick around with this or am I going to be exceptional? And that's a really, really, really hard decision, right? I'm, I'm, I'm 31, so I'm to the age where my friends are starting to get divorced. And what happens? One of them becomes toxic. One of them becomes different. One of them becomes, you know, not what they were when they first got married. Then they have this tough decision in front of them because one is trying to be exceptional and one is happy being ordinary. That's why it's very important to pick your mate wisely. Because if you get yourself in these situations, now you're faced with an incredibly tough decision. And you see it all throughout life. But it's the people that have the perspective. It's the people that have the mindset that can analyze, okay, what am I doing? Am I being just Joseph's son, just a carpenter? who's limited by the people around me in my hometown that are supposed to love me and are supposed to support me, that are putting me in a box? 
Or am I going to step outside of that and be what God's called me to be? There's a verse in Romans um, 12, 2, that uh, is one of my favorite. And um, it says, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Now, you've probably heard this verse in another translation before, so that's why it sounds familiar. But I love this translation because it says, by changing the way that you think. You notice it's not changing your ability. It's not changing your height, your looks. It's not changing how strong you are, how fast you are, how smart you are. It's not changing any of those things. It's just changing the way that you think. It says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you. And how does he transform you? By the way that you think. So let me ask you, how do you think? That's a weird question. Well, think about it for a second. That's what I would say to the students. I'm sorry, I'm not yelling at you, okay? It's like, think about it for a second, okay? Do you go into every situation pessimistic that you're not gonna do it, that you're not good enough, that you're gonna fail? That's the way that you think. Are you gonna go into it setting yourself up for failure before you start? That's the way that you think. Do you go into situations just looking to start a problem, just looking to call someone out, just looking to ask for the manager, just looking to do these things? That's the way that you think. Because looking to love someone and to help someone, and to lend a helping hand, and to sacrifice from you to help someone else, that's also the way that you think. So we see here that there's two different paths to think. And this is the way that God says that he will transform and renew you, is through the way that you think. And in some days, it is easier than others. That's a given. Some days you wake up, you don't sleep well, and it is tough to have a good thought process but that's when you need God the most. And those are the moments when he really makes himself true to you. That's when the Holy Spirit speaks the most to me, when he says, hey man, you need to shut up. I go, you're right, good call, right? Because I know the more that I talk, the more I'm getting in trouble, the more I'm making this person angry, the more that I'm doing, you know, the more that I'm like digging my own hole even deeper. It's tough, life is hard. Another thing that we <laughs> teach the students regularly, life's hard, life's not fair. Learn those two things, you might do pretty well, right? All right, so uh, another point about exceptional people is that exceptional people are free. They're free. Did you notice Jesus like didn't try to impress these people? Jesus wasn't trying to like impress these people. He wasn't out there like trying to like, okay, well, well wait a second, wait a second. I, I, know, I know that you think, I don't know what I'm talking about, but let me prove to you all the time I spent in this uh, seminary school and all the hours I have put in reading the Old Testament and let me memorize this verse without reading it. I can do it from my head, right? He didn't, he didn't even try to prove any of these people. He was free. He was free. He knew what God had called him to do. He knew his plan in life and he was free to do it. He did not need the approval of other people. He knew his mission. He was trying to share the gospel and he did not need the, the approval of the professional gospel sharers. Think about that. Think about that. The mission that Jesus was on, that he was called to do, he didn't need the approval of the pros that do that. So, so often in our life, we measure up our capacity, our capability to the pros. Well, they're pros, and they do this, 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 and this. Let me make my little list. I need to do those same seven things. Once I do those seven things, then I'm ready to go. Once I save up this much money, once I get a family, once I graduate, once I, uh, you know, get my finances straight, right, then I'll go, because that's what the pros do. If God's called you to do it, 
be free. Be free. God will provide. If you watch the way that you think and you really chase after a relationship with God rather than the rules, then you will be free to do those things. Jesus was on a mission and he succeeded. God had a plan for Jesus's life and he succeeded. That's why I love looking at the actions and the decisions that Jesus did because he had a plan and he succeeded. Everybody in here wants to succeed, everyone. Even lazy people, which make me mad. They still wanna succeed. They don't wanna work, but they wanna succeed, right? So if we look at it and we look at, okay, Jesus did it. Jesus had a plan, he got on it. What did he do? He didn't worry about impressing the pros. He didn't worry about his past. He didn't worry about what he knew. He didn't worry about how old he was. He didn't worry about who liked him and who didn't. He had a plan. He kept his eyes focused on God and he was exceptional. He was not ordinary. So I wanna read this next part because, um, well, I like it, okay? So it's verse 23, and this is still in the story, okay? So we have, we have Jesus, and basically he said, um, they said, aren't you Joseph's son? And then Jesus is about to go in on him here, okay? He says in verse 23, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Basically, they want him to do miracles. Like, hey, Jesus, you're, do some miracles. We heard that you can do them. Prove it. If you're who you are, do some miracles and prove it. Right? We don't believe you. Do some miracles. They want him to do, do something. People will limit you. Right? We don't believe you. You've got to prove it. You, you can't worry about proving to those people. Jesus doesn't worry about proving it to those people. His own hometown didn't accept him. And, and Jesus says, you're not even accepted in your hometown. There's some students that have some family situations and they come and talk to me and I say, you need to go away to college. You need to go away. It is what it is. I mean, there's some situations, they have great family life. They got great opportunities here. They should stay. But there's some people who need to go because they need to get out of their hometown. They need to go somewhere. They need to have a fresh perspective. They need to not see the same streets every day. They need to not see the same people and eat the same foods and see the same people over and over again. They need to go out and they need to become their own person. And some people just need that. And Jesus is saying, look, sometimes in your hometown it can be where you're the least accepted. The people that you have around you. And it's hard because we don't want to, you know, turn away from the people that we grew up with. Getting kids not to hang out with their childhood friends that are making bad decisions is one of the hardest things to do. Like, dude, you gotta believe me. Stop hanging out with them. You gotta believe me. I've seen it happen. They're toxic. They're ruining you. They're making, they're, you're just, you being around them, you're getting a bad reputation from the, from the people that you're hanging around with. Your best friend posts something on social media that's not what you do, but people associate it with you. Right, it happens all the time. It happens even when we become adults and we become grownups. And you, when you get on, people are, you know, and they're on making those, those long Facebook comments. They're, they're usually political. won't get into it. But then you see a bunch of people getting on there going back and forth. And you're just like, what are y'all doing? I got 15 paragraphs here. No one's even reading that. Sorry. Verse 25. Certainly, uh, Jesus goes on. Certainly, there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the heavens were closed for three and a half years and severe famine devastated the land, Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, 
a widow of Zephyrath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elijah, but the one who healed was Naaman, a Syrian. So Jesus says, um, how about this for you? Let's go back to the Old Testament and talk about when there was a famine in the Old Testament and, and the people and the Jews were crying out to God for them to be saved. Who did Jesus save? A Syrian, a Gentile, a non-Jew. Basically he's saying, hey, guess what, guys? God loves everyone, not just you. And that's what made him mad. He said, how dare you say that God loves everyone? How dare you? We're not special. We are special. We are special. Trust me, we're special. Jesus says, no. Everyone has equal opportunity God. Relationship is for everyone. We can even see it in the Old Testament. In verse 28, it says, when they heard this, the people of the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. So his hometown tried to mob him because he said that y'all aren't special. And then in their anger and trying to push him over a cliff, he does a miracle and he slides out unnoticed. So the whole time they were asking for a miracle to prove who he was, they got mad at him and then he miracles his way out. Isn't that the most ironic thing of all time? You're just like, oh, Jesus is like three steps ahead at all time. I mean, he just, I mean, he knew what he was doing. He had, he was proving a point. He's proven a point. God loves everyone. That was, I mean, that was a, a huge shift in religion when now God loves everyone and not just if you're from this one area. That was huge. And it made a lot of people upset. But it's freeing because it tells us all that we can be exceptional. We don't have to be from a certain family. We don't have to be from a certain background. We don't have to have a certain economic status. Any of us can be exceptional. She said, he said, God sent food to a Syrian. And they were, uh, they were, that was like the enemy. He said, look, God loves them too. Be exceptional. You have the opportunity. Jesus understood that it's, that it's easy to doubt the power and work um, uh, among God, amongst people they're familiar with. So Jesus understood that they're, they're going to doubt him because of his background and what they thought they knew about him. But God doesn't want us to chase the approval of man. He wants us to chase the approval of God. If we go around chasing the approval of man, we're just going to end up letting people categorize us and tell us what we can do, and we're going to believe them. Because if they like us, that means that we think their opinion's right about us. If you have someone that you value their opinion in your life, and you usually want to impress them, you usually want them to like you, you usually want to keep a relationship of some sort with them if you respect their opinion of you. So that's a trap we can get into if we go around trying to impress everyone on earth and letting them define who we are. Got to check the time here. I'm getting a little ranty. Okay, all right. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to close up here. I'm going to close up here with this. So if the band wants to come back up, um, we're going to end with a song. Um, but uh, just remember, Jesus, he didn't primarily seek to please his audience. He, he was seeking to please God. And he didn't let people define him. He didn't let people categorize him. I mean, they chased him to a cliff because of how angry they were at him. But they didn't want him to be more 
than what they thought he was. And so often in life, people won't want you to be more than what they think you are. It, it proves that, that you have some sort of social mobility and that you can work hard and get better. When they don't want to, that makes them uncomfortable. And if, if they're going to stay the same, they want everyone else to stay the same. And this is exactly what they were doing to Jesus. And Jesus showed us with this story that was obscure to me that in his hometown, he had to prove a point saying that God loves everyone and that you need to be exceptional. So I want everyone to stand up. We're going to finish with this song, Waymaker. I mean, Waymaker, think about that. We're singing, God, you make a way. God, you make a way. Not my ability, not my talent, not my skill, not my education, not my money, not my family, not my hometown. You make a way. Because guess what? If it was up to us, we wouldn't get anything done. God makes a way. So I want to challenge you. Use this time of worship. When you're worshiping and you're singing it, let God renew you and change you by the way that you think and start thinking of him as the way maker and not you as the way maker. Because when you start thinking of it that way, you will be free to 100% pursue what God has put in your heart. Don't be limited by what other people say. Don't be limited by the situations and the circumstances or your environment. Be defined by God and let him change you by the way that you think.